0: You know, um, there are some words that we learn as babies, as kids, um, that are common first words for people. Things like "mama" and "dada." Actually, my son made to throw made sure to throw in a fun twist when his first word was "dada" on Mother's Day. <laughs> we have fingers crossed that maybe this time Bristol's first words will be "mama." Shortly after "mama" and "dada." Comes the word no <laughs> and in frequent succession, no, no, no to anything and everything. Kids then grow and expand their vocabulary and experience and start to discover words and phrases to articulate their needs and their feelings. It's a really important stage of development that we learn to express what we feel. It's not far into childhood. But a kid learns to say this phrase, that's not fair. That's not fair. She got a bigger piece. That's not fair. They got more time on the playground. That's not fair. They got to stay up later than I did. And they begin to notice the injustices that happen in life and in their world. Sometimes We hear that phrase, it's not fair, and we try to explain it away or rationalize it, like, well, they're a little bit older, so they get to stay up a little bit later than you. I remember it felt like as a kid that my older brother got to do more than I got to do, and I felt a sense of unfairness at times. It's not long before almost every parent learns to say in reply to that phrase, Life isn't fair. It doesn't take us long to learn that life is not always just, not always evenly balanced. And our senses begin at the earliest ages to recognize injustice, lack of fairness, where something is wrong or inappropriate. And it sends off all our alarms on the inside, all the bells and whistles to say, Wait a second, that's not right. This shouldn't happen that way. These people are acting badly and it's affecting these other people unfairly. Like we have wired in us a sense of justice and fairness and what is right. And maybe with it, a sense of integrity that teaches us to live a certain way. Now, some family dynamics make it easier. To learn how to grow in the things of integrity and justice, and sometimes it's not something easily learned in a person's environment. But the wiring is there, recognizing that something's not right. We've been looking together at the Beatitudes over the last several weeks, and we wrap that up today with the last of the Blessed are statements. Now, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount goes on for the entirety of chapter 5. We tend to refer to the Beatitudes as those those statements that say, blessed are the, right? And we started with things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Today, we're looking at verse 10. It simply says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to keep reading verses 11 and 12 in the same theme. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Remember, as we've been studying this text, we've learned that the phrase blessed are means a kind of satisfaction or happiness that is found in the description Jesus lays out. So he's saying to us today, happy are those who are persecuted. Happy are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. And I hear the deep irony in that phrase from Jesus Now, that's been true with each of the Beatitudes. It is not coincidental that Jesus is talking about a satisfaction or a happiness, and in every one of the comparisons, he's giving a difficult circumstance or situation to compare it to. I mean, we said all along, you don't feel happy when you're grieving. You don't feel happy when you're poor in spirit. We've tried to unpack together what this happiness or satisfaction means If it is not the difficulty of the circumstance. And here we are again. Jesus is saying, you can be satisfied, content, happy when people are lying about you, giving you a hard time, falsely accusing you of things, that then you can experience true satisfaction. And it may make you go, what in the world can that? There's no way that can possibly make me happy. So I want to spend some time unpacking maybe what Jesus means by that and how we can indeed find contentment, satisfaction, and happiness in it. Now, persecution is a thing. It is a sort of bullying, unfairness, um, an injustice that's happening to a person because of a particular belief or way of life, Um, or just because another group of people chooses to give them a hard time. We recognize that kind of bullying around us all the time. Injustice due to someone's skin color or social status, or um, simply because they are who they are. They experience a grief and a difficulty at the hands of another person simply because the other person chooses to. You know, Hudson will finish up fourth grade here in a few days and start fifth grade later this fall, and it has stirred up all sorts of things in me because fifth grade was the worst year of my life, and I cannot believe that Hudson is there already, and I worry a little bit that he may experience some of what I experienced in the fifth grade. I've told you some of the stories, but essentially, for reasons that were unknown to me, a group of people chose to make my life difficult that entire year. I had no idea why. I was the chosen one, (laughs) the one who they would intentionally harm by their actions and words and choices and motivation for no reason that I apparently could control or make stop. Now, that is a bullying and an intimidation and manipulation that is inappropriate. Persecution to me implies another layer to it that goes beyond bullying, but in this context and in many like it, it also refers to injustice and inappropriate behavior because of your belief system. In particular, the scriptures will be referencing persecution as um, an injustice and unfair treatment because of your belief in Jesus specifically. Like, because you claim Christ as your Lord, your Savior, the one you follow, that you may experience particular injustice because of the belief you align with. And there are people who, from from the moments of Jesus' life and ministry, and as the scripture reminds us, even back to the prophets before Jesus, who experienced significant persecution simply because they aligned with Jesus— and they chose to follow him. If my memory serves me correct me correctly, all but one of the disciples experienced fatal persecution, dying for their belief in Jesus. In horrible, physical ways, they were put to death, tortured and imprisoned, simply because they aligned with Jesus. This passage is referring a bit to that not just bullying, intimidation, improper treatment, but all of those things because of your belief in a Savior and Messiah in the person of Jesus Christ. And currently, we as Western Americans put the things of persecution behind us a bit when really it is still happening all over the world, by the hundreds, maybe even by the thousands, people losing their life, being put in prison, losing everything simply because they will not denounce their belief in Jesus. So this isn't just a passage of scripture that applied to those who were experiencing persecution because of their Christianity then. It is still a raging problem for the world today. I may want to begin with this as we talk about happiness and being found in persecution, I think we need to put into check very quickly what we call persecution. It is not uncommon these days to hear people talk about mistreatment and unfairness because we hold the name Christian. And that may be true. There may be biases right now that Christians endure that we didn't have to endure a few decades ago, although I'm not entirely sure. I do know that I don't personally know anyone who's been imprisoned or put to death in America because they claim the name Christian. And so I want to first say that maybe we should check our tendency to call unfairness or foul on our persecution as Christians. Because Jesus is referencing here a depth of sacrifice that we likely will never know. And maybe what that should make us do first and foremost is stop whining (laughs) About unfairness. And remember that people are truly being persecuted for their belief in Jesus, losing everything family, money, businesses, maybe even their life because they simply say, Jesus is Lord. And maybe that should inspire us to something more significant than the um, whining we do as Christians about the things that make it difficult for us to be Christians. Um, and remember to be passionate about our faith in Jesus because there have been so many who have given so much so that we can claim the name of Christian. I think maybe the passage teaches us what real persecution is and that our desire for fairness is not the same thing. I think it also teaches us (laughs) that There's nothing in scripture that would tell us that life is meant to be fair or easy for us. In fact, Jesus is sort of saying that we can maybe expect persecution. There is passage in the New Testament that says, in this life there will be trouble. In fact, over and over again throughout scripture, the reference we see from God or Jesus setting the expectation is that life will be hard. The circumstances may never be good and easy, and Jesus knows that. So he's telling us in some fashion that happiness is not found in the contentment of our circumstance because he's actually saying here we may need to expect things like persecution And if you follow the whole list of things that came before this, he's saying we should maybe expect things like mourning and grief and brokenness in spirit, and that our circumstance may always be hard. And not just because we're Christians, just because life is hard and the world is broken. And so Jesus's expectations are not framed around our happiness being found in the ease of our circumstance. In fact, he's saying that happiness can be found when our circumstances are difficult, painfully difficult. And so he's reorienting us to something beyond the contentment we tend to look for. I don't know if you're wired this way. I definitely am, and I'm deep in the throes of it now, that sometimes I tell myself, well, if I get through this hard thing, then it will be easier. So I pull up my bootstraps, and I summon up a bunch of strength, To conquer the next hard thing, um, hoping that on the other side of the hard thing, I get to catch a breath and things get easier. Sometimes that's the case. Most of the time, there's just another hard thing waiting on the other side of it. And you find that life tends to be managing one difficulty after the other. So the text reminds us ultimately that our contentment and happiness is not found in the ease of our circumstance. When everything lines up, when life is fair, when people treat us equally, he's calling us to something more. So what is the more? How is this contentment found? I think he's reminding us of a couple of things here. First, our contentment is found in who we live for. If we are being persecuted um, because of righteousness, it says, That means that we are not being unfairly treated because we claim the name Christian. He's saying we are being treated badly, maybe even put to harm, because of the right living that we have. So persecution is not unfairness. Persecution is intentional harm done to us because of the way we live out our faith. In order to be a person of righteousness— Two things are required of us. One is that we have chosen to follow Jesus and his right way of living. And so who we are and who we follow is part of what um, orients our life in this passage. So Jesus is saying, blessed are the persecuted, um, those who are persecuted for righteousness. So those who are persecuted for following my directive and my way of living. So real persecution comes because of who we follow. And I'm not saying that you should line up and make the aim of your life to be persecuted. I do think the text says we should make the aim of our life to follow Jesus. And there might be some things that come with that that are difficult, but there's also lots of goodness that comes with it too. The passage says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So they will experience the fullness of God and all he intended because they chose to follow him. So he's saying that your contentment, your satisfaction is found in following him, number one, and number two, in how you live out following him. Righteousness isn't just a nice word that we use in the church. Righteousness is a way of living with integrity that looks to do what is right and what is true and what is good according to God's rules. And so we're following a specific leader in his way of leading, his way of instruction, and we're living to our be- the best of our ability the right way. Now that right way again is God's way, not our way. So Jesus is saying, your contentment, your happiness can be found actually in following me and living out the truth, the rightness of what I teach you so that the rest of the world can see that. What he does is reorient us around what we're living for. And so instead of saying that we're living for the ease of our circumstance, when people treat us fairly, that instead we're living for him. And that actually in the integrity of living the right way in him, we will find satisfaction. I think he knows that there's this wiring in us that we can find pride and um, self-esteem and acknowledgement and goodness and peace in knowing we did the right thing. Knowing we made the right choice. And I think he's so spot on here. Because he says, you know, blessed are you, happy are you, when people lie about you and say false things against you, when they treat you badly. And what this does is instead of saying, um, life's not fair, they're treating me badly, this needs to stop, that we find contentment in knowing we did the right thing, regardless of the attention it brought to us in the process. And I get that. We live in deep regret and it divides our spirit when we live in a way that is inconsistent with what Jesus teaches and inconsistent with our own integrity. So I think Jesus knows that when we do the right thing, make the right choice, live for his truth, let our whole life proclaim that and follow him as the one who leads us in that integrity and instruction, that we'll have an inner peace an inner satisfaction from having known we did the right thing. And in that satisfaction, we'll experience the fullness of the kingdom of God because we're living for him. And we're not being divided by the world and pulled in different directions and living for different things. And so the persecution we experience won't matter, won't hurt as badly because we know what we're living for. Ultimately, it will remind us that life isn't fair. And people don't treat us equally all the time. And the way we live in Christ may gain unwanted attention. But if the priority, if the point is living for him in the way of his instruction, then we'll have that inner peace that we've done the right thing and lived the right way. And we can breathe easy regardless of the external unfairness that's coming our way. So I want to remind you today, live for him above everything else. You literally cannot go wrong in orienting your life around the life of the Savior, living in his direction, believing in him, following and investing in him. And the greatest call of your life can be living that out in the way of Christ, loving the way he would love, living into the truth the way that he would, Doing the right thing in the way that Christ would will center you and orient you and ground you in what is most important. Instead of constantly being tossed about trying to figure out what's good or fair or easy or makes your circumstance better, He knows there'll be a depth of satisfaction that is found in Him. That's what all of these Beatitudes are about. <laughs> when you're mourning, when you're poor in spirit, when you're hungry for the things of Jesus, when you run after him and make him your reason for a living, all the rest of that noise quiets and you find yourself grounded on what really matters. And then your happiness, your contentment comes from him and him alone, how you live out your relationship with him instead of the millions of messages that the world is constantly sending us. My prayer as we wrap up this sermon series is that you find your contentment there. You find your peace with him and know that true happiness can indeed be found. You can have it. It's not elusive and it's found in one place and one place alone, Christ alone. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, we thank you so much for your love for us, especially for your patience that understands sometimes our flippantness the way we're tossed about and loves us still lord would you help us to push out the noise and the distractions the desire even for things to be right or fair or easy or good and instead help us to have one desire one focus to run after you to make you our everything and then to live that out with such integrity and such purpose that um Whatever else happens around us just doesn't matter as much anymore. May we experience in that the fullness of the kingdom of God, everything you have promised, all of the joy and peace and contentment in you as we live for you. Lord, I just pray that you'd stir up a new commitment, a new passion in us today as we give ourselves to you, our Lord, Savior, and King. In Christ's name we give thanks and pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.